The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. There is a well-known quote that says, United we stand, divided we fall. And unfortunately, I think we live in a culture and a time when we are far more divided than united. And as a result, there are homes and marriages, families and communities that are falling. A community that's falling apart, homes that are being devastated. In fact, I was just reading recently on the news that there are uh, reports of people who are getting divorced as a result of the intensity of this current election cycle. Like maybe the husband and wife, they have a difference of opinion on the election. And so they have filed for divorce because they're so angry with each other's views about who they are supporting for our presidential election. That's a problem. If, if the presidential election is tearing apart your home, there's something wrong, right? And because here's what goes on, right? We begin to divide people up into ideological groups. So we have the red states and the blue states. We have people, we divide people into categories based on their values of being conservative or, or progressive or liberal. We have, we, we divide people up based on their moral views. And so we say we have the, this group that is for, and we have this group that's against, and we pit them one one against the other. We, we, we divide communities based on their social status, based on their economic status. So we have one group of people that live in this community because of their financial well-being, and then this group that lives over here because of their lack of financial well-being, and then they never get along. They don't cooperate with each other. They don't interact with each other. They don't have to deal with each other. And, and then we divide people up based on race or based on, based on ethnicity based on how people look. And so as a result, it becomes very normal. We, we feel like it's a normal type of lifestyle to divide people into categories and then to judge and measure ourselves in comparison to others. In essence, we become what we have or do or wear. We, we start to define ourselves by our race or even our voter registration. And as a result, rather than being united, we become far more divided and it leads to a collapse. It can lead to the collapse, not just of marriages and homes, but eventually you start to see a community and cities and even a nation eroded to the point where it begins to fall. And so what do you do about that? All right, so I'm going to bring you back to an ancient story. So we're going back about 2,500 years to the story of this guy named Nehemiah, who was a servant to the king in the nation of Persia, he was, and, and as a servant, he went to the king and said, hey, can I have permission to go back to my homeland? I want to go home where I belong because I heard that my city, the city of Jerusalem, was in ruin. It had been devastated, and it had sat devastated for about 150 years. He goes, and I heard a recent report that this, that this city and the nation continues to be in ruin. The walls are collapsed. They are burned. The city is burned up. The homes have been destroyed. And even though people have gone back to that city and they rebuilt the temple, and some of them have even rebuilt their homes, particularly the 
the wall, which in ancient times, the wall would have been the defense, the security, the safety, and it would illustrate the sovereignty of that nation. And so Nehemiah said, can I have permission to go home to the city of Jerusalem and begin to rebuild it? And so the king, Artaxerxes, gave him permission to do just that. And so Nehemiah came back home where he had not really, he had never been there before. He comes to Jerusalem. He rallies the people to begin to rebuild. And that's where I want to bring you right into our story. Um, we're going to jump in right there. Uh, and we're going to be looking at Nehemiah chapter 2, where Nehemiah begins to rally people to rebuild the city. And he begins by, be, by rebuilding the walls. Nehemiah chapter 2, uh, and we're going to start in verse 17. He's saying to the people, come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. He said, look, God is with us. God has given me favor to rebuild our city and to rebuild this land. Uh, I know that God's favor is, is what's allowing us to receive favor from the king. Let's get to work. Let's do this. We can do this together. And they replied, all right, let's go. Let's start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But immediately... Anytime there are people who start doing good things, there's something that inv inevitably happens. Opposition comes up. You know, I, I've long thought about this. Doing the wrong thing should be hard, right? Like being evil and malicious and like having ill intent and saying bad things to people, like that should be really hard to do. Don't, we, don't you all agree? But unfortunately it's not. Doing bad things and being evil and having horrible motives and being destructive and hurtful and, and critical and tearing people in, that's easy. Doing the right thing and working hard to do good is really difficult. And people who do bad things, they seem to be able to get away with it with hardly any challenge. Meanwhile, when you try to do the right thing, you try to do good things, you seem to be the one that is getting confronted and people getting in your way, trying to slow you down, trying to stop you. So, all right, first, stop whining about it. That's reality. When you're going to do good, you're going to face opposition. Because here's what will happen. People are going to point fingers and say, why aren't you doing more good? You should do better. And then they go, why are you doing that good thing? You should do that good thing. And I, I'll just, I'll give you a rule. Learn to criticize by creating. And the way I look at it is, if you aren't going to get out there and get to work, then I ain't gonna, I'm not going to give you any attention. If you're going to critique me while I'm busy doing something good, I'm absolutely going to ignore anything you have to say. All right? I'm going to I'm going to stay busy doing the right thing. I'm going to stay busy working hard, and because I'm working hard, I don't have time to listen to you tell me what else I should be doing. So, this is actually where our story continues. Uh, this is that's kind of right where the story picks up is Nehemiah and his buddies and their builders, uh, they are, are facing opposition while doing this good work. Nehemiah chapter 4. When Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, so these guys, Sambalat and Tobiah, they are neighboring, warring 
nations who gather next up around the walls as Nehemiah and his fellow citizens are rebuilding their nation and rebuilding their city, rebuilding the walls, and they begin to mock them and ridicule them. They gather an army of soldiers and say, we're going to destroy you. We're going to fight against you. What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish it in a day? You're never going to get this done. I mean, you can't work that fast. Look at you. Can they bring the stones back to life from these, those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Are you going to turn a dead city? A city that's in poverty and ruin? A city that people can mock? Are you going to make it a living city again? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side said, what are they building? Even if even a fox scampered across the top of that wall, climbed on it, it would break down their wall of stone. So what's going on here? Basically, we just put it very simply like this. So there's these enemies, there are these warring nations that gather around. Here is Nehemiah and his fellow citizens doing a good work, trying to rebuild their city, trying to, trying to be for their city. Meanwhile, enemies gather around and begin to ridicule and mock and make fun. They begin to make threats against them. They begin to challenge them. And they're saying, man, even a fox could knock down what you're doing. I mean, what you're doing is never going to work. You're never going to rebuild that city. You're never going to be able to put your marriage back together. You think you're going to try to do the right thing in your work? You think that you can get your coworkers to work together and maybe even pray together? You think you can get people that have otherwise been at war to actually get along with each other? You think that you can get your child that has kind of ran off? You think you can restore that relationship? Oh, give me a break. That'll never work. And try to steal confidence trying to rob their faith, trying to discourage them so they would throw in the towel. Now, their motivation was pretty direct. Sambala and Tobiah had a political motive. They were a warring nation. So if this nation rebuilds, it becomes a threat to their sovereignty. And so there's, this, there's a political power struggle. So there is a motivation for them to see Nehemiah discouraged and give up on this good work. There are plenty of people around you who have a motive to see you not do the right things. There's people who profit when your marriage crumbles. There are people who benefit when families disintegrate. There are evil people with evil intentions who celebrate when cities collapse. And certainly there is an intelligent evil at work to bring about the destruction of not only individuals, but communities, a nation, right? Like, like there's this evil enemy who is intelligently and strategizing behind the scenes to bring a collapse to the, to the people who are doing what is right and best. So what is the response? What do you do? What does Nehemiah do? How does Nehemiah rally the people to rebuild a nation? How do you, in essence, become for our city in the midst of threats? How do you become for your home and your, and, your, and your neighborhood and the city and our nation? How do you react in the middle of an incredibly vitriolic political cycle when everything about you 
Everybody, everybody's telling you that you should be divided up. You should hate other people groups. You should hate that ethnic group. You should hate that social class. Here, here would be the challenge I would just directly give you. We can see it right in the story of Nehemiah and how he rallied a city. And it's this. This is a big idea. I encourage you to write this down as you take notes. By the way, I would strongly encourage you to open up our LifeHouse app. We would encourage you to download that app. You can use it to take notes, to follow along. If you're ever out of town, you can around the LifeHouse app. You can live stream our services like we're doing right now. Um, and you can also take notes on the app. So I'd encourage you guys to do that. So you don't even need to use an old-fashioned pen. You can put it away. Uh, we'd encourage you just go on your smartphone if you have one, and you can take notes right there. If you don't, all right, you're off the hook. Then you can use uh, charcoal and, and board to take notes. All right. <laughs> um, so what is, the, what is the main thing? How do, you, how do you come through a season where divided we're falling? Here it is. Love your neighbor. We need to love our neighbors. Ultimately, the reason we are divided is not over politics. It's not even greed. We're not divided because the media is telling us to be divided. We're not divided because of our differences in ethnicity, finances, or just upbringing and race and background. We're divided because internally there is a drive that makes us divisive. There is, there's an internal divide inside of us that drives hate born out of hurt, drives anger born out of pain, right? Because what, what fills spills. When you are filled with sin, sin, this driving force inside of each one of us, sin, which is the, the motive in every one of our hearts, which is what pushes us away from God and toward our own self-interests. Sin is what compels us to live selfish lives rather than selfless lives. Sin is what is creating desires that produce decisions that cause destruction, division, and devastation. So at the root of the problems in our homes, our cities, our nation, is the sin driving every one of our lives. Sin that produces the division. And so the fix is not going to be, we need to elect the right person because the next president is not gonna resolve the sin issue in our hearts. The answer is not going to be to pass better laws or to get the right people in the Supreme Court because no matter what judicial um, decision is made, it's never going to correct our heartbrokenness because you can't legislate righteousness. You can't get enough police officers to make people do the right thing. The only thing you can do is catch them doing the wrong thing. And so how do you clean up this internal spiritual crisis that every one of us carry that is wreaking havoc in our neighborhoods and then across our nation? Well, we see it really clearly jump off the pages in the response of Nehemiah when they face opposition. When Sambala and Tobiah, who are motivated politically to, to fight power with power and try to defeat their good intentions, when Nehemiah hears what's going on, he turns back to God in prayer. Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Help 
Our city is in trouble. People are mocking us. People are looking down on us. People are scorning us. I feel like everything is fighting against me. God, I need your help. And I think the first response whenever we face opposition, when you feel like you are living a divided life, your home is divided, maybe the workplace or the classroom is divided, maybe you're just frustrated with all the division you see around you, my challenge to you would be let's first turn our hearts back to God. Oh God, help, we are despised. We, we cry out to God because we recognize that neither politics, nor justice, nor laws, nor more money, there is nothing else around us that is going to fix the problems of division in our life, our home, our communities, our, our country. So what does it look like to turn back to God? Well, he, this is not going to begin by us loving our neighbor. Let, let, me, let me challenge you. This has to begin with you receiving first. And so, because what, what fills, spills. And so if sin is in me, sin's gonna spill out of me. If hurt is in me, hate's gonna come out of me. If I am broken and frustrated, anger is gonna come out of me. So I have to first be filled with God's love, right? And so how does this work? Well, we know that Jesus Christ came to earth to die on a cross for our sins. God became one of us to take the collective eternal death sentence that was placed on every one of our lives, and then he placed it on his own shoulders, metaphorically, so that when he died, he died the eternal death sentence every one of us deserved. And as a result, he became the sin payment so that anyone who believes in Jesus Christ by faith is forgiven of their sins, shame and guilt removed from our life, our heart transformed. How how can your heart be changed? Because you were otherwise driven by sin, but when you believe in Jesus by faith and that shame and guilt is removed, you are now filled by God's spirit. God's spirit entering into your spirit. And when God's spirit's in your spirit, he fills you with a new kind of life, an eternal life, and a new kind of love so that you can begin to love your neighbors. Let's jump into what Jesus had to say about this very idea. Jesus was questioned of all the laws, of all the rules, of all the religious stuff that we should be doing. Jesus, give us one thing because, you know, like we're, you and I, we're not really good at doing like 30 things. But if you give me one thing, I'm, I feel like, all right, I can do that. And so Jesus' question and his answer is found in Matthew, in the gospel, eyewitness perspective of Matthew, who wrote it down later in his life, and it became known as the gospel according to Matthew. He records it in his book, uh, chapter 22, and we're going to read verse 37. Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all of your heart with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first, and this is the greatest commandment. But you want me to give you two things? So if you, if you got that one down, if you're like, all right, I'm going to love God with everything I've got. Let me give you number two, Jesus said. So if you're going to spend the rest of your life focused on just two things, love God, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everything, all of the law, all of the prophets hang on these two commands. In essence, you could take all of the laws in our nation. You could take all of the religious laws that you read about in the Old Testament and the Bible, and you could boil it down to these two basic statements. Love God, love people. Love people as your neighbor. And when you love your neighbor, 
Love them the way you love and care for yourself. So now that becomes a radically new perspective. Nehemiah, when he's facing opposition from the outside, when, when enemies are fighting to bring division on the inside, Nehemiah rallies the people to come into unity. How? By treating each other as neighbors. If we're going to be, be about the rebuilding of homes, the rebuilding of neighborhoods, if we're going to be about the rebuilding of your life and my life, if we're going to see the rebuilding of a city and possibly even the rebuilding of a nation, it's going to happen when we begin to love God and then share that love by loving our neighbors. Now, what does this look like? As we open this sermon, we showed you a video of, of protests and then some young people who thought it'd be really funny to go coal roll those protests. And that, and that was personal because I was actually on the street that day, standing there with the protesters, not protesting, but caring for and pastoring our neighbors, pastoring our community. And so when those guys drove by and coal rolled them, they coal rolled me. And so I thought I would make a phone call and call them up. I found them on Facebook, where you can find anybody on Facebook. And I thought it'd be really good to have them sit down and have a conversation. The guy who was leading the protest and the guys who drove by and co-rolled it. And so we want to show you a little bit of that video. Check this out. I mean, I'm pretty sure everybody knows me. My name's Antoine. So we all came together in various different cultures, various different beliefs, but we all came, had one common cause was to make a change and a change that's going to last, not just for the moment, but a change that was going to keep us together, bring us together as a whole. Um, my name is Aaron, and um, I shot the video of the two diesel trucks blowing smoke on the protesters. And comments, and, and messaging, and in and general, and what people were posting. And I was like, this is starting again. I never once imagined that the video would have went as far as it did. That hurt, so, that hurt to my heart. And it hurt a lot of people in the community. And they are disturbed by that because of the positive steps that we was trying to take forward. And it felt like it sets them back and makes them more frustrated. I apologize to you um, and, and, you know, the mothers, the children, the fathers, everybody that was that, that is a part of this. Um, and I do want to help you guys. I, I want to help us. I, I don't want to sound like it's just your guys's. I want to help everybody. I want to help the community of, of this town. I want to change. He did this because he wanted to. And he did this because he wanted to see a change and he wanted to correct his wrongs. And all I ask that those of you that are watching this, that you find it in your heart to at least forgive this man and give him a chance. Now, let, let me, let me th say, say a couple things about this. Um, so the police heard that we were going to get these guys together, and they offered to provide police security for this conversation. And we said, no, I don't think that's going to be necessary. I think we can sit down as neighbors and talk. And, um, and then we followed this up by the police sitting down with some of the protesters. And they've begun to sit and meet and figure out real solutions for the brokenness in our city. And uh, what was really cool, the night we, we brought these guys together to talk, uh, Antoine, he didn't have a ride home. 
I had picked him up and got him a ride here to shoot the video, and he didn't have a ride home. And uh, I was trying to get out the door to another meeting, and so um, Aaron offered to give him a ride home. And so I took a picture of Antoine in the truck that they had used to previously coral the protesters, and they both had like this big grin on their face. And I was like, you can't make this stuff up. Like, and you know what else though? You can't manufacture it. Like, you know what it takes? It takes godly people believing that we are neighbors and that we can love our neighbors and we need to treat people as neighbors. And, and that if we begin to treat people as neighbors, we can begin to heal a city. And so that's what I encourage you to write down as you're taking notes today. This is what I want you to type into your, the notes section on the app is that it's not just enough for you to uh, love God, but we gotta begin to love our neighbors. So here's the deal, right? We will rebuild our city when we begin to love our neighbors. That's it right there. How are we going to begin to love our neighbors? Here is the challenge. There is something, I can find value in identity in pitting myself, me versus you. Because I can find significance in what, I, in what makes me different from you. And as a result, very often, even Christian people and the church find greater value in being right than in being loving. And you and I, we have a tendency to prefer to win arguments than to win people. Right? Very often the church and too often segments of people are known more for what they're against than what we're for. Think about the political climate right now. And so let's become people that are for something. Let's become people that are for each other. Let's become people that are for our city, for our homes, for our neighbors. We, we're going to begin to rebuild by loving our neighbor. And so how, what does that look like? How what does that sound like? How do you do that? Well, if we jump right back into the, the story, after Nehemiah faces opposition, we get to this moment. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all of their heart. See, the people came together and worked together with all of their heart, with all of their effort, with all of their mind. They began to love, they, loving God and loving each other. We're coming together to say, we can rebuild. We can do this together. It's not, you're different from me, so I can't work with you. And you're, you make less money than me, so, you know, we, we're not necessarily going to be great friends. Like, no, no, no. Let's come together and say, we together can begin to rebuild our homes, our neighborhoods, our communities. And I think this is a vital and fundamental part of what it means to become a Christ follower. Now, Jesus, as he's teaching, he uses an illustration. In fact, in that moment, he said, I want, I want to give you two things, love God and then love your neighbor. There was this lawyer in the group, in the crowd, listening to Jesus teach, and he was looking for a loophole, Jesus. So what does it mean to love my neighbor, who really is my neighbor? And what he was doing was he was looking for an opportunity to care for and love the least amount of people. What he was trying, what he was thinking was this, if my neighbor is only the people living immediately next to me, then I only have to love people who are just like me. Right? My, so here's a lawyer in a Jewish community saying, good, then my neighbor is only the Jewish people that live around me. And I live in a wealthy community. Because I'm a lawyer, so I don't have to love the poor and the sick and the hurting, right? Like he was trying to limit his exposure to love. 
And Jesus goes like this. He, he goes, well, let me tell you a story. And so he tells a story about a guy who was, a, who was robbed as he was traveling. And he was left for dead, and it actually appeared as though he was dead. Fortunately for him, two religious leaders came walking by and saw him, guys who should have been compassionate and caring, but unfortunately for the man who was robbed and almost dying, Jesus said that these two guys, when they saw him, they crossed the street to avoid him, right? And as a result in the story, they created both physical and emotional distance. And very often the way we avoid having to love people is we create both physical and emotional distance. I don't have to care for you because I don't interact with you. I don't have to see you. I don't have to deal with you on a daily basis. And ultimately, because I can judge you from a distance, I can convince myself that I don't have to care about you. But Jesus said, then along came somebody else. And so we're going to jump into the gospel according to Luke chapter 10, verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, so Jesus is using a story about there's this racial tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. He goes, so the guy who should not have had to love a Samaritan as he traveled, came to where the, the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. What, what's, the, what's the main point here? We love our neighbors when we treat them with dignity and respect. Do you see people with value? Are people worthy of your care, your love, your attention, your time? Or are they a problem? Are they in the way? Are they an obstacle to overcome? If people are a problem to fix, then we view them as an obstacle. But in, if we see people as a neighbor to love, we begin to treat them as valuable and worthy. Now, when God sees people, he does not divide them into classes and groups and, and separate them. God loves people. And as a result, if we love God, we need to begin to love people, love Everybody as our neighbor. And so let's continue to read here. He went, he went to him. So instead of avoiding the man and creating distance, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next thing that we notice in the story is that when we love our, we love our neighbors, when we get personally involved in their lives, Right, this, this Samaritan man, he doesn't just uh, see the man and treat him with, you know, he doesn't just have pity on him, say, hey man, that's a valuable person. Because he values him, he gets personally involved in the guy's problems and in his life. He, he, he actually, I mean, you think about the story Jesus is telling, the man touches him. He picks up a bloodied man who looks like he's dead. He puts him on his donkey, takes him to an inn, like what would have been otherwise, you know, kind of a triage center of its time, gets medicine, treats the man's wounds, wipes him up, and then pays the innkeeper to take care of him. That's deep personal involvement. For me, that's, I feel like maybe the best way I can model that is when I hear about a protest, I'm going to show up and I'm going to pray for people. I'm going to love them. I'm going to serve them. Uh, not because I'm going to take sides in a protest, but because we love people. Like, I don't care what the issue is. In fact, I, I made this statement over and over again. I am neither for nor against. I, I'm for God. I'm for our community. I'm for our city. I, I love people. And so I'm going to come and I'm going to serve and I'm going to be an expression of the love of God. And I realize that there's lots of people with lots of opinions and you would love it if I would shout for your person, the person you're supporting for the election. And you would love it if I shouted out your per 
preferential issues. But here's the deal. As Christ followers, too often we become known more for what we're against than what we're for. And as a result, we lose our ability to demonstrate the love of God. And we've got to begin to stand up radically and boldly and begin to get personally involved in people's lives, people that we would otherwise have created an emotional distance from. Let me keep reading the story for you. Let me give you another challenge so, that it make, so it kind of jumps off the pages. Here it goes. We love our neighbors when we fight for them rather than against them. In Nehemiah, as the opposition continued to grow, the, the soldiers began to surround the city walls. And so Nehemiah rallied the people and they began to work. And then others stood guard. And so that's where our story lands From that day on, half of the men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. Here's what happened. They got each other's back. We we begin to love our neighbors when we begin to get each other's back. In what way can you get someone's back? That's the story of Jesus. In Luke chapter 10, as we conclude the story of the Samaritan, he says the next day, He took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper to look after him, he said. Get his back. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. Which of these three men do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. There it is right there. Jesus is speaking to us. He's saying, go and do likewise. You want to see a transformation in your home, in your parenting, in the way you interact with your classmates, your colleagues, your coworkers? You want to see a change in the way you actually relate to the neighbors that do live in your neighborhood? You want to see a transformation in our city? If we're going to become for our city, we have to go and do likewise, which means we have to begin to fight for people, then fight against them. We have to begin to become champions of getting each other's back. Here's the challenge. Here's what you have to be aware of. Here's what we have to know. Jesus got our back. In fact, he not only got our back, he went out and got in front of us and he took the blow of sin on our behalf. And if right now what's getting in the way of you loving people is you're not filled with love, then your first step is to receive the love that comes from God. Receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So my challenge to you would be to pause right now and pray. Ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord and Savior of your life. Understanding that what fills spills. And the only way that, that, only way that you're going to change what's filled your life is through faith in Jesus Christ. And if that's where you're at right now, would you pause and just accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Allow him to give you new life and let his spirit into your spirit. Now, if you believe in Jesus, then you have a responsibility. This isn't just an encouragement. This is a command. He said, all of the law hangs on these two commands. Love God, love your neighbor. How do you need to begin to love your neighbor? Not by allowing an emotional and physical distance to keep you away from caring, but by getting personally involved, by expressing dignity and honor to people, and then by fighting for people rather than against them. I would challenge you, would you take a moment and pray and say, God, help me to begin to love my neighbors. Not people that I like, but people that you've called me to love. Would you take a moment right now and allow God's spirit to speak to your spirit? And would you begin to make a commitment to say, God, help me love 
my neighbors. Help me begin to see people as neighbors. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.